Welcome to the Bayside Church Weekly Message audio podcast, Frankston. Today, we are are going to continue on with our relationship series, uh, message number three called The Pursuit of Purity. And uh, we've got a DVD now by John Mark Comer, who's a pastor and author, called What is Sex? So if you look at the screen, that'll be great. So I find that there's a ton of talk right now in the world with my friends, with my family, my neighborhood about sex and about what sex is. And I also find, at least as a follower of Jesus, that there's a chasmic gap between culture at large's definition of sexuality and God's definition. And by that I mean from the scriptures um, as Jesus would define it, as the biblical authors would define it. So basically, as I read it, culture at large defines sex as recreational play between two consenting adults. So it's just physical, it's just the biological coupling of two bodies for sexual release and what's the big deal? As long as it's between two consenting adults, if it's mutually pleasurable, I mean, what in the world is the big deal? It's just play for grown-ups. And then the church often comes along and says, okay, here's all the rules. Here's where you can do it and here's where you can't do it. But they buy into culture's definition of what sex is. And then basically say, well, you can do it, but only in marriage. And oh, by the way, only marriage between a man and a woman, not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. And to most of us, that's just nonsensical. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you hear that and you think, what what kind of crazy, uneducated, traditional, outdated thing is that? It makes no sense. But reality, we have to get behind it to the definition of what sex is. So as I read the scriptures, as I read the teachings of Jesus, here's how I understand sex. In Genesis chapter two, the word echad is used, that in sexuality, two people become echad, or it can be translated one flesh. This is a graphic, weighty word that basically means, when it's put together with this word flesh, fused together at the deepest level. That in sex, a man and a woman come together and are fused together at the deepest level. It is the bonding of two people into one entity, body and soul, physical and spiritual, because there's no way to bifurcate the two. So it's actually a much higher view of sex than cultures. Culture basically says, hey, it's just play. It's just biological. What's the big deal? God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, it's way more than that. It's two people who become one entity and then over and over again enjoy and express love for one another through sexuality. Now, inside of marriage, this is beautiful because it it takes two people and it doesn't let them drift apart. It keeps them together. It keeps them echad or one. But outside of marriage, this can be dehumanizing because it can turn people into objects for basically self-gratification. And then every time you walk away from a sexual partner, it's as if you tear echad, as if part of you is lost and you do that enough times and it starts to hollow you out from the inside. So I, as a follower of Jesus, think that we need a higher view of sex than culture at large, not a lower view. We need to get back to the mysterious, beautiful, powerful reality of what happens when a man and a woman make love. Wow. How thought-provoking is that, hey? Let's pray. Father God, we just commit our morning to you. And Lord, I know your Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to each one of us this morning. So right now we make a a choice, Lord, just to open up our hearts to you, to open up our mind to you, and to invite the Holy Spirit in to share as he would speak to us. We pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear. Father, I pray that you would help me uh, say the things that you would have me say this morning uh, your way. 
so that uh, we can be blessed by it, so that we can be transformed by it, so that, uh, that we can uh, experience all that you've intended for us in this area. And we give you the praise and the glory. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, our message notes uh, are online uh, on, the, on the, the church website if you want to grab them when you go back home or if you have the U version of the Bible app on your iPhone or, or iPad or, or other sort of device, you can, you can access them there and follow the message. If you're taking notes, uh, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper and, uh, and we'll get into it. Our text this morning, if you have your Bibles here, is Matthew chapter 5. Let's turn there now. Thank you, Sam. And only two or three other people are excited by God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes, we're going to uh, have a series on this next year. Uh, It ties in with our theme beautifully for 2015, which we can't tell you about yet, otherwise it won't be a surprise. But but we're going to do a series on the Beatitudes anyway. And we're going to read from, uh, let's uh, take it from verse 1 through to verse 12. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now this is very early on in Jesus' ministry. In fact, Jesus had just come back from uh, being baptised and a time in the wilderness. He'd come back, chosen his disciples. And then this is really some of the, the first teachings that he's, been, uh, that he's given to them, or so the Bible records. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, or not as Monty Python said, blessed are the cheesemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So there's no guarantee we're going to escape persecution if they did it uh, to the prophets, then, uh, then they will do it to us as well. But there's a number of amazing statements in there, and each one of those starts with the word blessed. So you're getting the idea that we might be blessed. In all sorts of situations, we might be blessed. And being blessed means more than being happy. Often we associate being blessed with being happy and, uh, and being joyful in heart or perhaps living a life that others are envious of. But blessed means so much more than that. It means having this incredible sense of peace and joy that doesn't disappear, that's not transient, that isn't here today and gone tomorrow. But having this peace and joy that is abiding deep within us that comes from being right with God. That's what blessed means. And I can remember back to when I first gave my life to Christ. Perhaps you're the same. The transition from death to life that occurred when I gave my life to Christ was amazing and this peace just uh, rested within me. This joy that bubbled up within me couldn't be shaken by anything because now I had Christ living in me. I was blessed indeed. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. In fact, the message uh, translation says, you're blessed when you get 
your inside world, your mind and heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. So blessed are the pure in heart. What does pure mean? Well, it comes from a Greek word, word called uh, katharos. And uh, it's the same word that we get catharsis from. Now, catharsis is an interesting word because it can be used of, uh, of our emotions uh, or, or such similar type of uh, attitudes and things like that where we are cleansed from bad emotions, we are cleansed from bad attitudes. And when I was a teenager, uh, I had hormones going around everywhere and, and I would often find myself angry, sitting in my bedroom just angry. And not because of anything anyone had done, but just there was this obviously testosterone happening and all sorts of things. And the only thing that would put me at peace was classical music. Now, for those of you that don't like classical music, that would be torture. But classical music soothed my soul. A bit like when David played the harp for King Saul. The Bible said that, that when David played the harp for King Saul, an evil spirit lifted and Saul was at peace. So that's a, a catharsis in some way of a cleansing of the emotions. For me it was anyway. Uh, often art can do that. People express themselves through art and have that catharsis through painting and through art. Uh, praise and worship music can also do it for me now. When I find myself a bit grumpy or a bit edgy or not quite right, sometimes I can put on some great praise and worship music and it just soothes the soul and it cleanses me of all of that anxiety or whatever it is that's sort of eating at me. You know, it uh, just brings me into God's presence and helps me be at peace. But, uh, but a cathartic movement actually also refers to something else quite nasty. Uh, it's also known as a substance that accelerates defecation. Yuck. Emptying the bowels. A laxative. A cathartic moment. We have probably one of those each day, a cathartic moment. And do you know, Pastor Rob told a joke last night, and only Pastor Rob would come up with this, but the first mention uh, of constipation in the Bible occurs with Moses when he took two tablets and headed for the hills. Perhaps you can relate to that. Blessed are the pure in heart. So how does that apply to us? There's two types of purity that the Bible talks about. One is positional purity. When you receive Jesus as your saviour, his purity is credited to us and God sees us, each one of us, robed uh, in righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 talks about that. You can write that down and look back at it uh, as you get time in your devotions. But uh, positional purity, and perhaps the best way that I can describe it is, is uh, through a football. So, Becky, if you can pass that to me. Thank you very much. This football is flat. So it's not much good, but unlike Richmond's football season, which is coming alive at the end of the year, just at the wrong time of the year. We're going to be facing Sydney. So, Jordan, you're, uh, I'm sure you've got pretty safe hands. This is what happens when we come to Christ. And then Jordan normally would take that ball and run out of here and we'd never see him again. But Jordan, stay. We want you to hear the rest of the message. That's what Jesus does with our sin. We hand it over to him, he takes it, and the Bible says as far as the east is from the west, he casts our transgressions from us. You know, if we constantly, and it's good to feel remorseful, but if we're constantly bringing the things to him that he's already forgiven, what a waste of time that is. He says, what? what sorry, I, I thought I'd forgiven you of that. That's gone. I don't remember that anymore. You know, if the Bible said north and south, 
you know, there's an end to north. You can head north until you hit the North Pole, and once you go over the North Pole, you're heading south. Then when you're heading south, you hit the South Pole and keep going, you're heading north. But if you uh, cast your sins as east from west, you constantly go east. You never stop going east. I think it's very interesting that the Bible chooses that language. So that's what Jesus does with our sin. That's positional purity. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the point of salvation, God makes each one of us pure and clean. If you're hearing me today, you are pure and clean if you've given your life to Christ. Amen? The second aspect of purity, though, is the hard work aspect. That's practical purity. That's the purity that we live out because we are pure. Now, often in life, people live their lives according to the identity that they have for themselves. In fact, we all live lives according to our identity. I've seen this at work in several, several friends. One person that I came to the Lord with many, many years ago was, was a kid that was down and out, destitute, but he had a view of himself that was very different than that. He had a view of himself that was someone who was going to rise above the circumstances of life. He had the view of himself that was someone that wasn't going to let his parents' divorce or his, his bad upbringing limit him. He had a view of himself as successful. Today, he is a very successful computer salesperson uh, living in Europe and making an absolute killing. Married, happy with kids. He lived up to that image of himself that he had. And often we do the same thing. So when we see ourselves as pure, all of our actions then start to be governed by the fact that we see ourselves as pure. We might start to engage in something that's impure, but it's not us. It doesn't resonate. That's not what we do. That's not who we are. So we step away from it. We start to walk back to the life that Christ has for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. You see, our reverence for God affects our decision-making. Our reverence for God affects whether we get angry with someone. Our reverence for God affects whether we decide to steal or not. Our reverence for God affects whether we get drunk, whether we lie, whether we swear. Our reverence for God affects our decision-making in so many ways. As we're about to do something, we're aware that our Heavenly Father is watching. We step back from whatever that thing might be to live a life of purity. Purity of heart does not mean a sinless life. There's growth, there's progress, but there's never perfection in this life because it's impossible to achieve. We live in a fallen body. We need to be realistic, but we need to make the effort. We need to be heading in the right direction. And so we have seven steps in the pursuit of purity. And the first step is to admit your impurity. Let's have a look again at the Beatitudes and let's uh, have a look in particular at verses 2 to 6 of chapter 5, or 3, I should say. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I'm not sure when Jesus was writing this whether he intended this, but we can draw from these scriptures a pathway to, puriness, uh, a pathway to purity. Because in, step, uh, in, in verse 3 there, we need to recognize firstly that we are poor in spirit. We need to recognize our spiritual state. We need to recognize that we don't have it all together, that we are sinful and that we do need a saviour. And when we come to that point, the kingdom of heaven will be ours. 
The next verse says that uh, we should be sorrowful for our spiritual condition. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If we mourn about our spiritual state, then there's godly sorrow, which leads to repentance, the Bible says. If we're sorrowful for our fallen position, then that's a step in the right direction. The next verse says that uh, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And meekness isn't a passive thing, but it's coming to God with a broken and contrite spirit. Coming to Jesus, knowing who we are, our state, and that we need a saviour. And then step four, blessed are those uh, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The ultimate uh, end of our quest for purity and salvation. Purity starts with honesty, saying I don't have it all together. I fail, I sin, I make mistakes. And that's why we need Jesus. But we need to be um, aware that it is a maturing process and we're not going to have it all together. If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. Amen. We need to agree with that. The second step in, uh, in this process is to pray for purity. Uh, King David is a great example of this. Uh, if we've read Psalm 51 and just the attitude of heart that David has as he prays for purity. You know, David was a great king of Israel, did many great things, but also did some terrible things. And 2 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12 tells the story of David's failings as a man when he was tempted by Bathsheba bathing on an adjoining rooftop. He looked out of his palace window and saw her there and thought, she's all right, I think I'll have her, and uh, organized for a husband to be killed and, uh, and took Bathsheba as his wife. Nathan the prophet came to him and challenged him. And then we see in Psalm 51, David praying, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 139 also, verses 23 and 24, is an amazing passage of scripture too, where, where the psalmist is, is saying, God, test me, you know, challenge me, see if there's any wicked way in me and cleanse me from it. Now that's, I tell you, you don't want to pray that prayer lightly. You know, that's, right, that's a special forces kind of prayer, that one. If you're a Christian and you pray that, you know what that means. You're going to go through a real challenging time because God is going to put you and stress test you in so many ways to see if there's any wicked way. I remember praying this many, many years ago, and boy, I wish I hadn't. But the Holy Spirit was challenging me, and I knew it was the right thing to pray, and I knew that when I prayed it, it was going to open me up to a period of testing, and boy, that testing came. And uh, it's a matter of hanging in there. But when you come through it, you learn so much about yourself and you understand uh, you know, where we fall so far short of God that we can come to him and ask for God to make it right. The third step in this process of personal purity, outworking our, our purity, is to memorize and meditate on the word of God. Psalm 119 verses 9 to 11 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? The answer is, by living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I'm so glad that when I first gave my life to Christ, a friend of mine that led me to the Lord took me to a Christian bookshop and bought me a little Bible study book, um, had about 14 Bible studies in it, and uh, some scripture memory cards. I don't know if anyone here has ever got those little scripture memory cards, but 
But these, these verses that I memorised 20-something years ago uh, are still in my heart today. I can still remember them. It's quite amazing the way the Holy Spirit just forms and shapes us as new believers and places his word in us. And over the years, as I've found myself in situations, the word of God has come to my remembrance. The Holy Spirit's brought it up from those Bible studies and from those little scripture cards that I memorized as a new Christian. We need to place the word of God in our heart so that we can remain pure when we need to be. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, uh, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The fourth step in this path of purity that each one of us needs to walk is to watch our words and our attitudes. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says that we need to do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, I need to look in the mirror often because this verse shines a mirror on me. You know, sometimes there are things which get your nose out of joint, things that don't go right, things that aren't going as they should, and it's really important that we don't complain, really important we don't argue, because Jesus said it's not what goes into us that makes us unclean, it's what comes out of our mouth. Is our complaining or arguing defiling us? Is our language defiling us? Is the, are the words that we use defiling us? We need to be pure in speech. Uh, the fifth step is to watch what we watch. You know, it matters what we look at. We've got to be careful. There are many things it's legal for us to look at. Paul says, you know, the, the law is, is, is broad and, and, and it's, God is gracious, but not everything is beneficial. And so we need to watch what we watch. We need to ask ourselves a question. Is this book a book I should be reading? We need to ask ourselves a question about the magazines that we look at, uh, the TV shows we watch, a movie we go to, the internet. If the internet is a stumbling block for you, buy an internet filter. Don't let it get to you. If that's, if that's what causes you to stumble, turn it off. Simple. Don't put yourself in a position where your purity will be compromised. We need to exercise self-control and good judgment. Psalm 101 verse 3 says, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. We need to set ourselves a standard and we need to be strong. The sixth step, and perhaps tying in with that previous one, is to find a faithful friend. If you need some help in the area of purity, find a faithful friend who can hold you accountable. Sometimes bringing things out into the open uh, is a necessary step in staying on track. And many people over the years have come to me and said, Stu, I have a problem in this area or a problem in that area and I want to be accountable. And praise God they do that. They should be commended for it because it is a step to remaining pure, a step to remaining on track. You want to be careful with the person you choose. You don't want to choose anyone. They might blab it around. Choose someone who's trustworthy, who's faithful, and, uh, and they'll encourage you, they'll pray for you, and they'll keep you strong. Uh, we might uh, face many challenges in this life, addictions, whatever it is. It might not be drugs. It might not be alcohol. Uh, it might not be pornography. could be gambling. could be little things like shopping, a shopping addiction. Has anyone here ever had a shopping addiction? 
Pastor Rob was telling the story of a lady who, uh, who had a shopping addiction. She would go to the stores, buy tons of stuff, only so she could take it back the next day. She was just addicted to shopping. I remember uh, going away on a, on a weekend with a group of mates and uh, we, we went up to the Murray to play golf and one of the guys over dinner went off into the pokies lounge and I just watched him transform. He started putting some coins in the machines and I could see this glazed look come over his face. I've never seen anything like it. He was hooked and uh, he was addicted. He needed, he needed some accountability. He needed some help to, uh, to keep away from it. The seventh step, the final step, probably one of the most important steps is to get up when you fall down. Because we're all imperfect, we are going to stumble. Just accept the fact that we are going to stumble at some point, whatever that might be, and we need to make sure that that doesn't get victory over us. We need to get up again. What's that song uh, by Tub Thumping, by Chumbawamba? I get knocked down, but I get up again. That's right. You're never going to keep me down. Micah 7.8 says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, O Lord, uh, the Lord will be a light to me. Don't let your enemies get the victory over you. Make sure you get up. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Amen. I remember our kids learning to walk. Becky's here. She won't remember it because she was really young. But I remember when they first started to walk, uh, and, uh, and often, you know, uh, many of you will have gone through this with your kids, but you know how they stand up and they might grab the edge of a table or a chair or something like that and they're wobbling and you're thinking, are they going to make it? And then after time they, they start to walk from the chair to the table or the table to the chair and it's just a few steps and they, they get there and, and they're looking a bit shaky, but then they might walk from, you know, one place to another and, and finally they don't fall over anymore. Well, imagine if, you know, as parents we said to our kids, yeah, when they fell over, you know, what a loser you are. You'll never walk. You'll never get there. You're a dud. Don't even try it again. Well, so many of us feel like that, don't we, when it comes to our spiritual walk. We feel like our Heavenly Father's saying that to us, really, and He doesn't. He's our loving Heavenly Father. As a parent, I could never imagine saying that to my kids. So imagine how our Heavenly Father is to us when, uh, when we stumble and fall. He doesn't say, you're a loser, you're a dud. You'll never make it. He says, come on, let's get back up. Let's see if we can try it again. So it's important that we never, we never let defeat conquer us. We need to be uh, strong and resilient. We need to get back up. We need to remember that we're a child of God and we have a loving heavenly father. We need to remember that blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Father God, we're so grateful that you are our loving Heavenly Father. We're so grateful that on the cross, Jesus, you died for us, that you took our sin, and you've run away with it, Lord. We'll never see it again because you have forgiven us. And not only have you forgiven us, you've cleansed us. Not only have you cleansed us, Lord God, but you've put us in right standing with you. And that gift is available for everyone today, that gift of righteousness, that gift of of eternal life, that gift of forgiveness. And I just want to invite anyone who might be here this morning. Your sin is a burden to you. All of those things that you've done wrong weigh you down. 
They smother you. They stop you from being the person that God intended you to be. Those things stop you from living the life that God has called you to live. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to release that burden, to hand it over to Jesus so that he can take it from you and you can be free and right with him. Is there anyone here this morning, perhaps you've never given your life to Christ or perhaps you have, but over the years you've let sin and this life take over that relationship you once had. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but this morning I would like to pray for you. Is there anyone here? Can you just raise your hand so I can see you? Just while every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Anyone here this morning? Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Anyone else this morning? Want to hand over that burden to Jesus? Thank you, I see your hand. And come into right standing with God this morning. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand this morning? I want to pray a prayer, and if we could all pray it, but especially for those three people that raise their hands. You can pray this, make it your own prayer. Pray it to Jesus, you and him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that on the cross you died for me. You took my sin and cast it into the sea. Today, Jesus, I give my life to you and decide that I will live for you. Amen. Amen. Well, if those people who raise their hands could see me after the service, that would be great. I'd love to pray with you and love to give you uh, some information about living in Christ. Why don't you take your seats this morning? We have one more, one more task before we finish up. We have a booklet that we'd like to hand out on the area of purity. We've done this in a booklet rather than in the perhaps awkwardness of a Sunday morning context. But it is an R-rated booklet, so it is not for everyone. It is for those who are over 18. And parents, if you have teenagers, then you're welcome to share that with them after reading it and deciding if it's appropriate for your teenager. So, uh, Ashish, if you could start to hand that out, that would be great. Need to be wise. In this booklet, there's a whole lot of useful information about this area of, uh, of relationships, about sex, uh, about lots of different things. Divorce and remarriage, we address in there. Uh, we, what else do we cover? So many things. Uh, de facto relationships, we speak about de facto relationships in there. Pornography masturbation, sex before marriage, lots of different things. And right in the back of that is a resource list on the back page. So if you're wanting to find out some more information about a particular area, then you can go to this resource list and you can, uh, you can uh, find out what is available for you. Now the, the footer there, I've just got to correct the footer. It says, please note every book listed has been read by the pastoral team. No, not every book and every resource on there has been read by the pastoral team. It should read, not everything has not been read by the pastoral team. But they are um, 
recommended sources, we have read much of those, but not all of them. Uh, and so you might find some things in there which you agree with, some things you don't agree with, but it's intended to resource you and to educate you in these areas so you can be stronger in this area of relationships and purity. On the back of that booklet is a prayer that I'd like to pray over us this morning. And then I'm going to say a benediction. I'm going to make a declaration over us, which comes from Jude. So let's bow our heads and let's pray this morning. Why don't we all say it together, actually? So read the prayer as we go. Ready? One, two, three. Father, please touch me by your spirit. Make me hungry and thirsty for your righteousness. I desire your presence above all things, to walk in unbroken delight with you, to be a constant and continual daily pleasure to you, Lord. I need your purity and holiness and to be kept by your mighty power. I humble myself before you and pray that your truth and integrity will fill my life today and always. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. I hope you've enjoyed the message this morning. Please take that booklet away, read through it, upload the message notes, recap it, and may God keep you strong and pure in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this weekly message audio podcast. If you'd like to listen to more messages and find out more information, check out our website at www.baysidechurch.com.au. Church has changed. Check it out.